Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Blog Talk Radio. expectation 
basically, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's a demand that people of color support the Democratic Party. So but let me repeat that just in case you came on the tail end of that. I said, it seems to me in many cases that support from people of color for the Democratic Party is expected, more so than expected, demanded. And so it's just really interesting this last election and watching all of the blame and passing the buck and just sitting back and watching all of this. And like I said, you know, they got everything wrong. They thought that Hillary was a shoe-in, the talking heads, the pundits, all of those people, you know, everybody was sitting back laughing at Donald Trump. I remember on numerous occasions saying, do not laugh. It is not funny. This dude can win. And guess what? He won. And so I, you know, I'm just looking at it and saying to myself, what what the heck is going on? Because now they're blaming everything and everyone but themselves. You know, they're blaming the black people because black people didn't go out to vote. You know, um, in some cases, in regards to black men, they're blaming black men because I believe it was about 13% of black men voted for Donald Trump. And, you know, there's a whole different dynamic behind that particular um, statistic. And it's just really interesting. You know, I have a show set up for January 1st. I think I'm going to take that day off and push it back to January 8th. And so, you know, the first show of the next year, the new year, we are going to talk about, you know, Magical Negro Review. So on that show, we definitely will be talking about Charlemagne. We'll be talking about Pharrell, you know, um, Lee Daniels, and a number of other people out here with these magical Negro tales and speeches that need to be addressed. So that is, you know, priority number one, because I've, you know, I've said it, I am going to definitely end up coming down, you know, some roles to talk about some of the things that have been happening most recently, as well as in the past, because you can't really talk about what happens now without filling in the blanks from what happened in the past. So it's it's going to be interesting. You know, there's a lot of things that I want to talk about today, and it's just so much happening and so very little time to really get into a number of these things. I definitely wanted to speak about the Michael Slager case and how there was a mistrial. You know, the judge had to declare a mistrial. And there was one person, man, on the jury who said that he could not, in good conscience, you know, find a police officer guilty. 
Now, that should make you pause for a minute. It really should. Now, mind you, this this happened in North Charleston, South Carolina. And, you know, I guess the jury deliberated for about 22 hours. And the prosecutor or the solicitor, that's what they call them there, basically stated that they will try Michael Sliger again. And I guess they're going over the transcripts, you know, the information so that they can build, you know, a more solid case. So for those that aren't familiar with this, there was a gentleman by the name of Walter Scott who was pulled over by the police, you know, for a traffic stop. And basically he jumped out the car and ran away from the police officer, and the police officer fired shots at him eight times, and he was hit three times in the back. And the officer said that he was in fear of his life. So, I mean, you're hearing a lot of that from police officers as well as these white men who are out here stating that, you know, they're shooting black people because they are in fear for their lives. I mean, I'm pretty sure you all saw what happened down there in Louisiana. And, you know, this is happening, you know, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, you know, there there are many times when I see these stories and I want to post them, but it gets harder and harder to read these things. And so I know I'm not the only one out here feeling that way. And so that's one of the reasons why I stopped posting stories like that, and especially when I know that the police officer is going to be acquitted or if they are, you know, convicted, it's going to be a slap on the wrist. And, again, you know, we we called it. We said that it was going to be open season on black people. And the same thing is happening in the Latino community as well as the Native American community. You know, it's actually worse in the Native American community. And that's a conversation that needs to be had as well. So, again, I'm just looking at these things, and it's a number of things that I feel that we need to talk about. Hmm. Basically, let me give you an example. Now, for those that have been listening to the show on a consistent basis, you know, I talk about these things, little bits and pieces here. Sometimes, you know, I feature. And I've been talking about the Democrats and their failure in this last last election cycle. So, there is a Senate race in Louisiana, right? And the guy that's running for office is Foster Campbell. And basically, <laughs> he's accusing the, you know, the DNC of not supporting him. And basically, he's accusing them of giving up on him. And it's a hotly contested seat, 
But, you know, him winning, you know, is a long shot because it is <laughs> red. And I'm just looking at it. And, you know, the guy is coming out. He's pointing the finger at the DNC saying he's receiving no, you know, no type of support. And I just wonder why these people won't sit down with him and tell him that this just isn't going to work out. You're not going to be elected. You're a long shot, and we're not going to invest any money into your race. It just seems like they're ignoring him. But I don't know what's happening on the back end. But what I will say is I truly believe that there is a lot of infighting happening with the Democratic Party, and it's showing. Because at this point, they should be scared shitless. You would think that would that would be what the average person would think. And I know I've said on a number of occasions <laughs> that basically with a lot of these people, um, they're friends. They're friends, and they pretty much want the same thing in many cases in regards to, you know, personal um, fulfillment, personal wealth building, those particular things. And black people have basically been used. I mean, black people really started voting Democrat after the New Deal. And it's a lot of history. But I want you to go and take a look at that and see what you can come up with because, again, being taken for granted and the same people that many of us, 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 we reach out to, they're the same people that created these problems. You know, the same people you're asking to fix, you know, the 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 crime in in communities of color, they're the same ones that have created the situation that cultivates the crime. You ask them to fix the educational defects, not only in the curriculum, but the dilapidated schools and the corruption, and these are the same people that created it. And as I've stated before, we have to have some real serious conversations because the same people that were running behind and demanding that they make change, we're not dealing with the fact that they created the problems in the first place, and they also continue to perpetuate it. As I've stated before, poverty is an industry and it is created on purpose. Same thing with fear. And now that we have, you know, the Orange Wonder, who will be inaugurated on January 20th, there's a lot more fear. Gun sales for African Americans have quadrupled. They've quadrupled. So, you know, it, it should be interesting, you know, on, on Black Friday, you know, they really had a bunch of black people <laughs> running to, you know, to buy guns. 
you know, it was just, you know, white people too, but it's just really interesting. And I am really interested in seeing how the NRA responds to this. So, again, pay attention. You know, they've talked to a number of people. You know, they interviewed them, and they were talking about how they need to have a lot of ammunition on hand, and it's just, wow. As I've stated before, stated before, you need to pay attention to what's happening around you. You really do. And now that gun sales are going up for black people, yeah, you know, maybe we'll get some attention to <laughs> to some of the issues happening in the communities. But, see, this is the thing. They profit from it. You have a lot of people talking about crime in our communities and you know, you have the arguments going back regard well, going back and forth regarding state sanctioned violence and black on black crime, you know, as some people like to say, and others say black on black violence. That is not a coincidence. And it gets difficult when you're out here and you're trying to explain this to people and explain how this came about. Now, one of the things that I definitely want to clarify and make sure that's understood is the intercommunal violence within the black community, or as you would say, black-on-black crime, black-on-black violence, that is also state-sanctioned violence. And the issues that need to be addressed, lack of educational opportunities, lack of economic opportunities, lack of monies made available to invest in small businesses, lack of, you know, lack of any type of training in regards to people who do want to open their own business and may not have, you know, the knowledge needed to effectively, you know, compete in the market. And we also have to talk about the number of people that come into, you know, black and brown communities and open stores of many different types, restaurants, and they don't look like the people in the community. And in many cases, they treat the people of the community badly. How is that working out for you? And then when we talk about, you know, what's happening and how we're being mistreated, you know, the response is, well, why won't black people open up their own, (laughs) open up their own businesses? Well, we have. We've opened up our own businesses. We've prospered. And as I've stated before, when black people have environments in which their talents, skills are utilized. You know, we have a tendency to prosper. And history has shown us that whenever that happens and, you know, 
white, working class, and poor whites, and they're not faring well during those times, they take it out on black communities. And then we lose it. They take it away. Not only do they take the money, they take the land, they take the goods, all of that, while instilling fear. And, you know, like I said, I had Christopher Everett on the show, and on the, you know, twice. And on the first interview, basically, we were talking about how some of the older blacks would tell their children and their grandchildren, oh, you don't want to go to North Carolina. But their children and grandchildren, if they weren't born at that time when they had the Wilmington insurrection or massacre, you know, they didn't know why their parents and grandparents were saying not to go to North Carolina. And many of the older people do not like to talk about those times because, you know, watching friends and family and possibly children or spouses being killed just because the color of their skin, just because they were elected to offices, just because they were prospering, Financially, jealousy, you know, they said that the river was red from all of the blood that was shed. And unfortunately, many of us do not know how to swim. So a lot of people die trying to get away. So, I mean, just do some research. Do a Google search on Wilmington Insurrection. Even look up Wilberforce, W-I-L-B-E-R-F-O-R-C-E, and you'll see that a lot of those black people did go to Canada. And, you know, it's a lot of history there. And in Wilberforce University, all of that is tied in together. And so, you know, what we're seeing now, as I've stated before, you know, with, with Donald Trump, This is his White Lives Matter movement. And that's exactly what this is. And, you know, what's so interesting about it is when you try to talk to people and show them, you know, this is what's happening, again, you're not believed. But now people are seeing it and they're like, oh, shit, you were right. Yeah. And just like I knew he was going to win. So, again, you know, go and and do some research and look it up. And I want to go back to the story here about Walter Scott because it was only one black person, you know, on the jury, of course. And, yeah, only one black person on the jury. And I think what broke my heart the most in that particular situation was when the family to the press and, you know, the mom, Walter Scott's mother, that woman brought me to tears. She definitely brought me to tears. And I know some of you are out there and you may not have any type of empathy for this woman, because she, you know, she was talking about her faith and her faith in Jesus and her faith in the Lord, right? And she was talking about, 
you know, she how how God tells them to wait on him and to be of good courage. And she was saying that God was strengthening her heart. And, you know, it just sent chills all through me because it, it kind of, it aroused an anger. You know, an anger, it was just different this time. It was different. And that's one of the reasons why I am not anti-religion. I am not anti-theist. I am not anti-Christianity or anti-Muslim, you know, Muslim, none of that. And I want you to go back and I want you to look at that press conference and watch that woman as she talks to them because she's mustering up every ounce of strength that she could to stand in front of that microphone and not cry and not break down and not talk about how unfair it was. And I am more than positive that her family and their attorneys, you know, instilled in her and told her how important it was for her to get out there and speak and not break down and cry, but to be a show of, you know, strength. And I, I, I you know, I kind of get it, you know, because you don't want the bigots and the racists to know that they got the better of you, but you're also still a human being. And having emotions and showing emotions, that is not that is not weakness. And I hate the fact that, you know, in many communities and with many of our relatives, you know, they'll say you better not cry. You better not get upset. And and it's just that is hard. That is hard. And so what this woman is doing is she's relying on her faith. She's relying on what has been taught to her and what has helped her get through a number of difficult situations in her life. And this has to be the just the just I would think it would be the biggest obstacle that she had to to overcome. Although I don't believe that this is something that you could ever overcome. The death of your child and to watch it happen, to watch a police officer shoot your child in the back. And so she relies on her faith to get through that. And when she stopped speaking, she walked to the back and, you know, I believe that was a family member who held her to give her some strength, right, and to let her know that she wasn't alone and that they were there to be her support system. They were there to be her sounding board because, trust me, this woman is talking it out. Whether she's talking it out with family member or she's talking it out with her God. But either way it goes, 
she has to find a way to let it out, to talk it out, to release. And so this is why sometimes I have major, major issues with people in these secular, atheist, humanist communities. You know, I've seen some people saying that they would feel sorry for her, but she's invoking God and Jesus in the Bible, so they feel no empathy or sympathy for her because she is relying upon her faith. And I'm like, what kind of fucking sociopath are you? I mean, what what can you tell her to do or to rely on to get through this? And so, you know, some of the conversations that I saw, you know, I was just angry, angry. And I didn't say anything. You know, I'm just sitting here and I'm watching it. And when I saw that woman, you know, go to one of her family members and, and you know, in her own way, she was wailing. Even though she was like, thank you, Jesus, and thank you, God, you know, that woman on the inside is screaming, and she's wailing, and she's doing everything she can not to fall out from all of the pressure and the stress. Because what you all need to understand is that it goes beyond this case. It goes beyond her seeing her son shot in the street like a damn animal. The press is all over her asking her for statements. She probably hasn't found a day of peace since that has happened. You know, and we have to do better. We have to do better. These are real people, real lives. And we're seeing this all across the country with people, you know, trying their best to stay strong, and to make it through. And, um, yeah, you know, looking at all of that, you know, it really got to me. But in addition to that there, you have the case, with that white domestic terrorist assassin in South Carolina. And you have the family members testifying, the family members that were there that survived, testifying as to what happened when the domestic terrorist, you know, walked in a church, was welcomed in a church, was honored in that church. And they, the stories, just go back and look, you know, the testimony. This isn't good. It's not right. It's not right. You know, and, you know, I hate to say this. But, no, I don't hate to say this. Let me take that back. That's a lie. I don't hate to say this. I've said it before. I meant it then, and I mean it more so now. 
fuck that forgiveness shit. And I find it interesting that you'll have people like Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson. Yeah, I like to pick on them, you know, and many others who want to trot black people out in front of the camera to state that they have forgiven white people for killing us, for maiming us, turning our lives into a living fucking hell, perpetuating the white supremacy, and just a number of things. But we're supposed to forgive. And I call bullshit on it. They're not forgiving. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, ah. And it's not helping that you have the press out here putting out these false narratives. And people are, you know, people are believing this. And what's so interesting, you know, in in black community is basically we've been trained to to hate ourselves, to hate each other. And, you know, with some people, the first thing that come, you know, that comes out of their mouths are, well, what did he or she do to deserve it? And unfortunately, you know, I'm going to let that go. But... No, they're, mm-mm. I don't have a lick of forgiveness for any of these fuckers. You know, and you have these some of these preachers out here, you know, saying that we need to forgive and <laughs> and and that justice will be achieved in the afterlife. And I call bullshit on that. And you all should know better than that. But you're seeing, you know, all of this across the country. And, again, I've talked about how disturbing I find the responses from some black men when the victim is a black woman. Oh, she should have just been quiet. She should have just done what she was told to do. You know, she shouldn't have been over there in the first place. You know, and and just throwing black women under the bus. And I've said, you know, it makes it very hard to support black men when I see these things. And, um, you know, no, no. You know, you have people like Charlemagne stating that black women aren't ready, that they aren't out here doing the work that it takes, you know, for us to find success when that's the furthest thing from the truth. And what's so interesting is, you know, a lot, 
some of the white women, you know, that these black men point to, some of these white women have just absolutely stolen the words, literally out of the mouths of black women who have fought and fought hard. But yet white people are able to capitalize on it. And then we're told, oh, it's just sour grapes. Move on. Nothing to see here. Uh, Guys, pay attention. Open your eyes. Pay attention to what's going on out here. You really need to do that. It's so interesting because we have answers to many of the questions that we have and that have been put out there. The problem is, in, in, in too many cases, is, you know, we'll see the answer, but yet our ego will not allow us to believe it. Or our fear won't allow us to believe it. And the whole thing, just the whole system is fucking corrupt. And, you know, going back to, you know, what I was saying about today's show, and the Democrats and their white explaining of, you know, what's happening and what has happened with, you know, Trump being elected. Listen, <laughs> they will never take responsibility for creating the situation. You know, and as I've stated before, where was I sit in for voter suppression? Where was our sit-in for this voter ID? Sometimes I just have a really hard time articulating how I feel because what I really want to do is scream. Because sometimes I really... I'm like, are you getting it? Are you paying attention? And most of you, yeah, you are. And it's hard, especially when your hands are tied. And there is absolutely nothing you can do. Well, there are things you can do. But it seems as though everybody is waiting on everybody else. In the meantime, these same politicians, you know, that demanded that you vote for them and support them, again, you only see them come around during the election, you know, cycle, and the federal one at that, because understand, voter suppression happens with both parties. 
And so when we have these midterm elections, in general, it benefits the Democrats in a lot of cases. But I want you to look that up. And I want you to look up voter suppression by the Democrats as well as the Republicans to get a better understanding of what's happening. Um, Gerrymandering, you know, redistricting, you know, all of it. But most importantly, I need for you all to understand that local politics has more of impact on your life. And so it's really interesting when they have the elections for, you know, the local politicians, whether it's, you know, the mayor or the governor, that's done on purpose. And that's what I mean when I say sometimes the Democrats participate in that voter suppression. And so they end up retaining and gaining a lot of seats. And so look it up. Look it up. So, yeah, you know, it's a lot of things that I definitely want to talk about today. And, you know, like I said, my... My head is all over the place, you know, trying to figure out and understand, you know, what's going on right now because, I mean, if you're not sitting back and wondering what's going to happen the next four years, I don't know what to tell you. You need to be thinking about what's going to happen the next four years. How are you going to survive? You know, and and when I say that, it's not a scare tactic or anything like that, but they are already tearing at Social Security. That's already on the table, baby. You better pay attention. And they want to privatize. Now, you know, our senior citizens, and our disabled or challenged members of society rely on those funds. We have to stand up. We we have to. We can't allow that to happen. But in addition to that, you know, we just need for you to pay more attention. So anyway... Um, Next Sunday's show is called basically Branded White. Empathy is for white people. Again, empathy is for white people. That is next Sunday. The Sunday after that, another Branded White. Diversity panels do not equal social justice, advocacy, or work. And again, diversity panels do not equal social justice, advocacy, work. And, again, I had it set up for the first for my GNC show, and it it will be called the Magical Negro Review. But I'm pushing that back to the 8th. I'm going to take that day off the first. And, um, yeah, take some time out for myself to do some of the things that I want and I need to do. So let me read the notes from today that, you know, the show – Ah, the show notes. 
And it says, basically, please join us as we discuss white people falling all over themselves trying to explain and justify Donald Trump's triumphant election. You keep saying that everything will be all right and that we will be protected from the white conservatism nationalism that is making a victory lap around the world. You have been making these false promises for decades. The very conditions that people of color suffer from were created by many of you and or with your tacit agreement. Every movement we have created, you have managed to sabotage on the low while claiming to be allies. And that right there, that's a shout-out to many of you progressive liberal whites, okay? And you crushed the civil rights movement and the black power movement, yet the KKK is thriving. They're still here. Aryan Nation, still here. White supremacists, you know, the people that you all gave the nice little alt right name to. They're they're white supremacists, white nationalists. But, you know, many of you all don't want to call them that. Why? Because then you will have to answer for it. Anyway, poverty, racism, sexism, Islamophobia, xenophobia, inner city reservations, Indian reservations, like Latinx, Barrios, etc., were all created and perpetuated by you. And what's so interesting is, you know, you'll have white people uh, talking about black folks and, you know, using a colloquialism called ghetto, right? And when you go and look up the word ghetto, I just want you to do some research. And who, who, what group of people was relegated to that term originally? And it was the Jewish people. And again, they worked hard to become white. They worked hard to get white status. And I wrote, you know, not not wrote, but I spoke about, you know, um, Carl Reiner and his stating that he would have voted for Donald Trump until Donald Trump's chief of staff stated that he would not send his school, his children, to a school that had Jewish students. Not quite as white as you thought you were, huh? So, huh, you know, again, you know, pay attention to this. So, again, you know, the common excuses we hear are that now isn't the time to force change, He is the president of all America and not just black America. You know, we heard a lot of that with Barack Obama, right? And, you know, we're going to hear the same thing, you know, with, with Donald Trump. And what I mean by that is you have people in our communities, you know, people of color and some of our white allies that want to now push an agenda for black America. Okay, now I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that because we need to have an agenda. What I'm saying 
is I believe some of the pushback that we're going to receive is why did you not put this on the agenda and make these demands of Barack Obama when he was in office? So we're going to get that pushback. And I've been saying for a while, we need political action committees. We need lobbyists. We need people who can force policy change for our communities. And not only the black community, I'm talking about working class and poor people overall, regardless of your socially constructed race. And, you know, I see I have some callers, and I'll get to you all shortly, but if you're calling to to debate, I don't do that here. If you're calling to push back and try to start a conversation about black-on-black crime, black-on-black violence, intracommunal violence within, you know, the black community, That is not the subject matter for today. If you're calling to, you know, address reparations and why you do not feel that black people are owed reparations, that's not this show today. So I'm telling you now, don't waste your time. And so one of the pushback items, you know, and I have this in the show notes, it says, Stop black-on-black crime, and then we will take you serious. You know, why can't you people live 20 people to an apartment and pool your money to buy a house and start a business? Eating the greasy and fast foods, you wouldn't have high blood pressure or the sugar, which is diabetes. You know, having a car is a luxury. Getting an education is a luxury. Why won't your God help you? And why do you serve the white folks' God that they made you bow down to, et cetera, and so on and forth with? And, yes, that was a long-ass run-on sentence. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know. I get tired of talking about this. I really do. but I'm even more tired of living it. And this is the reality that many of us live on a daily basis. So it should be interesting, you know, these next four years. But all I have to say is you better have a contingency plan in place and know what you're trying to do and know what you're know where you're trying to go and understand what is ahead of us. Huh. Because it's not gonna be pretty. Not even a little bit. So for those of you that are definitely on the Donald Trump train train, I really want you to go back and take a look at his new deal for the blacks. Go and look at it. 
And so, again, you know, I find it interesting <laughs> because, you know, we always talk about other cultures co-opting, you know, the white culture co-opting everybody else's culture. And, you know, you have a lot of people that tell black folks, and it's generally working class and poor whites, that I have heard this from the most. Even though I hear it from black people, too, who have been trained to say this. But, you know, I'll hear them say, why are you complaining? Why are you bellyaching? You know, just take what's given to you and and be happy. If you were living anywhere else in the world, you wouldn't have it this good. You know, and a number of other things that I've heard over the years. Yet, these same working class and poor white people, I mean, what we're seeing now with this White Lives Matter movement and hope and change for white people is basically a renewing of the social contract the social structure. So, again, yeah, it's interesting, you know, with the Republican Party itself. You know, it's been co-opted. It's been co-opted by libertarians and tea partiers. So don't believe that, you know, a lot of the things that happened during this election, that it was a coincidence. Not so much. But, again, yeah. <laughs> You have these Democrats saying, well, you know, this happened because black people didn't go out to vote. This happened because a percentage of black people or black men voted for Donald Trump. You know, um, you'll hear, you know, white Christian, you know, identity or just a number of excuses. And what it all boils down to is they fell down on a job. You have Jill Stein challenging for a recount in three states. And, you know, from some of what I've read, you know, Donald Trump's lawyers and the Republican lawyers have been there from day one, basically having one or two lawyers present at every table where a recount is happening, to challenge everything. You know, they may have a couple of legal aides or, or you know, maybe one lawyer there from the, from the Democrats not necessarily challenging everything. And so, again, ah, this situation was created. Now, I had someone run it by me and say, well, what if Donald Trump you know, what if he does make some positive and constructive changes in our system of government? Uh, I mean, that's a possibility. Do I think so? No, I highly doubt it. I need you guys to pay attention to who he's appointing to these situations, to these offices. Pay attention. And so, you know, what's so interesting is, you know, I have to give credit when it's due. 
I will say that, you know, the libertarians and the Tea Partiers, they have managed to kind of put us in a situation where we are living in one of Ayn Rand's, you know, crazy fantasies here. So, yeah, you know, let's see how this works. Should be interesting. There was something wrong with her. But, you know, that's a, that's a whole different story there. But, yeah, you know, for you libertarians that are out there who don't know who Ayn Rand is, don't call me telling me you're a libertarian and you don't know who she is. It's just that you're falling down on the job. So I guess I probably should should explain or define white splaining. Or maybe I don't need to. You know exactly what it is. You know, you're not a bunch of babies. You know exactly what this is. And so, you know, this has been happening for a while which is why, you know, I always talk about how you have these people out here who want to speak about black pain and black rage, but have never been black and dead in their lives. I wonder if they've ever even had any black people over to the house. Just really curious about it. How are you going to tell me what it's like to be black when you were never black, or you make excuses. I mean, Megyn Kelly, you know, she was one of the, huh, one of the main ones. She was telling black people that they have no reason to complain about being shot. You know, that right there is an example of white splaining. Huh. You know. Like I said, I really get tired of talking about this stuff. And so I know some people are like, well, then why do you talk about it? Because it keeps happening. I'm living it. I see it. Multiple times a day. And it's sickening. So we're going to get into the show. And... Talk about what's happening out here, what we're dealing with, and, you know, why it's problematic. And what's so interesting is, you know, you have all of these narratives and tropes being trotted in front of us saying that it was Russians who interfered with our election process and And I saw the article that was dropped by the Washington Post. I saw that. Hmm. I don't know why you all are believing some of this information. Propaganda. What they're trying to do is keep you calm and keep you confused 
And interestingly enough, they have basically shut down major protests or what could turn into major protests in D.C. all the way till March 1st because they were going to have the Million Women's March in D.C. There was going to be another so-called March on Washington and a number of other people wanted to protest in D.C., so now they won't have access to, you know, the mall and all of those other places where large gatherings can come together. And there's a reason for that. And then you have people believing that the Electoral College can and will elect Hillary Clinton and switch their votes from Donald Trump. That's not going to happen. And so, you know, they're selling you all these stories so that, you know, get you getting confused and so that you won't ask them why did they not address certain issues. And it's a shame. So we'll get more into this. We have a caller. All right, caller from 609 Area Code. May we ask your name? Yes, and uh, this is Trishanna. How are you? I'm well, ma'am. And yourself? I. This is my first call, and I'm glad to hear you. You sound passionate about what you're doing and how you're impacting thinking. And so I want to commend you for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate what you're doing. In September, I wanted to share with you that I did create um, a spoken word CD, and it's called Blood Cry. And when you get a chance, I hope you can Google it on Amazon and see if you can uh, add that to um, some of your events for Black Lives Matter. It it, it really speaks to... Um, the Blood Crying from the Ground. It's called Blood Cry by Trishanna. And um, yes, so I want you to T-R-I-S-H-A-N-N-E-A, and Blood Cry. Cause I, if yes, you ma'am. Just try, and you'll be hearing more from me. I'm just a new artist coming out there, and it's going to speak to the Speak Truth to Power is what my um, – platform would be for those CDs in the future. The, the other thing I wanted to share is uh, you're absolutely right. I've heard you say, watch, listen, be aware, and we need to. Uh, there is, and I'm sure you are, you, you're very educated, so I know you already know about it, but it's called the Convention of States, and I think Texas initiated it. And that in regards to uh, white nationalists and everything else is going very strong. It's being uh, pursued all the more now with the new administration coming in where the power to address some of the issues on the um, 
national level will no longer apply, and they want the power to be pushed back down to the states. Uh, and exactly. someone made someone made a statement said, "We've been waiting for this for a hundred years," <laughs> and I couldn't yep. believe what I was hearing. It's called COS, the Convention of States. Indiana uh, came on board uh, under Article Five. Uh, and many of the other states, I think they may have a total of about 34, but you're absolutely right on point that we need to be aware of the detractors that's out there. So uh, by the time you miss the focus, the policy is already there. Um, my only exactly. other comment is what was lost in the smokescreen of politics was not only the executive office, but I didn't hear anybody holding uh, the policymakers accountable That's right. for not acting on policy or not implementing policy. And I'm referring to uh, Congress and the House of Representatives, which had the power to act, the power to make policies. But now uh, they're ready. I mean, they're waiting for policy now. I want to see... Right. Uh, the American people and our African-American culture become more vocal about the audacity of Congress, who we pay with taxes, have not worked in the last eight years and we paid them, or are they working with a communistic uh, mentality that if I'm not in control or not in power, the only policy that matters is my, my policy, my thinking, where I want to put you back in a cage and uh, and keep your mind in the barn, never out in the marketplace. Thank you for letting me speak. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And I'm going to, you know, put you back on hold. And if you want to talk again, just press 1 to come out of the queue and then press 1 to get back into the queue. But she's absolutely correct. And so when she's talking about, you know, what she was talking about with, you know, the states is basically what we've been talking about for a while in regards to states' rights. And so what happens is when these policies and these laws are passed through Congress in an effort to get some of these laws passed, you know, the best example I can give you was the New Deal, the New Deal with FDR. And, you know, again, at that time, black people were voting Republican for the most part. And the Democrats slash Dixiecrats, you know, they were, you know, a force to be reckoned with. A lot of white supremacy, a lot of racism, all of those things. And so in order to get the New Deal passed, he had to make a deal with the Democrats, you know, and, and part of that Southern strategy, part of the deal that he made was even though it would be federal laws, you know, a federal law that was passed, they would take the money and, and, and these programs and push them down to the states. And this is where you get the terminology about states' rights. 
Okay, and so what they were able to do when these policies were being implemented and granted and administered by the states, they were able to systematically discriminate against people of color because we were always not qualified one way or another. And if you go back and you look up, you know, a lot of this information, you'll find it. Um, There are two books that I've talked about on this show and it's one I really didn't really get a chance to get into it, but I'm going to have to go on and read that book. But it's called Fear Itself by Ira Katz Nelson. And the other book is by Ira Katz Nelson as well. And the title of that book is When Affirmative Action Was White. Again, When Affirmative Action Was White. And it talks about, you know, the social safety net or you know that's that's the technical term for it you know when when black when white people are talking about black people you know they call it an entitlement program for us for some odd reason they believe that their link is different than our food stamps the same thing you know they think their disability is a social safety net and an entitlement but welfare for blacks, that's just, you know, that's <laughs> that's a no-no. You know, anytime they think another culture is reaping and, and, and being as, you know, getting fair treatment. Well, they don't say it's fair treatment. They think it's not fair. They believe that they're missing things and that they're not receiving you know, support or, you know, stability or what have you because money has been moved from that from that honeypot and and used to help black people and Latinos and, you know, Native Americans. And it's just really interesting, you know, how all of this is being set up. And like I've stated before in the past, you know, many of these elite white people, Democrat and Republican, and especially libertarians, they do not like poor people, regardless. And so, you know, you need to pay attention to these things here. But, you know, Trishana was absolutely correct because, you know, they're ready to go. And what's interesting is when Harry Reid was in charge and they you know they they utilized that nuclear option to shut down filibusters the republicans are about to do the same thing so you all you got to read you got to read you got to pay attention you need to be making phone calls you need to be sending emails you need to start showing up You really do, because, again, that don't worry, be happy, that's the type of shit that gets you killed. And when I say that, I'm speaking more than, you know, the physical, but I'm talking emotionally and psychologically. You can't keep ignoring a problem. It's not just going to go away magically. 
And so, you know, it's, it's really interesting because, again, here we go with this so-called New Deal 2.0 and his New Deal for the Blacks. What I need for you guys to pay attention to is, again, policy. They may give us A, B, and C, but trust me, they're finding a way to take what we already have, B through Z, away. So to some people, you may feel as though we've arrived and and we're going to benefit from this. No. Even with the Civil Rights Acts, and it's, it's more than one Civil Rights Act out there, guys, need you to understand your history. When they give, trust me, they're taking even more away. So we're in trouble. We really are. And so, you know, I thank Trishiana for calling in. And it's a lot of spoken word that's out there. And I've heard some phenomenal, phenomenal artists over the past couple of years, you know, being exposed to different groups and communities. And a lot of us can express our pain and our passion through the arts and, you know, writing and even with this podcasting because, I mean, I'm I'm very clear about how I'm not a fan of writing. I write well. I just don't particularly like to do it. and But I have to get out of that mindset. But mm-mm, we brought this on ourselves. And, you know, the question that many of you all need to be asking, some of your Democratic leaders and your Democratic friends and activists and organizers, they do to create this environment in which Trump could rise and excel. And one of the things I need for you all to understand, and this is something that I learned like in the fifth, sixth grade, Americans vote with their pocketbooks. How did that get lost in a shuffle? And I'm here to tell you that it didn't. So, like I said, it's, it's really interesting. You know, when when I get to thinking about some of these things, and especially if I've read something that had a major impact on me, you know, I had a habit that I broke and I stopped a long time ago, but it's kind of coming back now. Whereas when I think about some of these things, sometimes I start pacing you know, trying to pull it all together and put the pieces of the puzzle together. And let me tell you guys, you know, what's happening right now is not a figment of your imagination. And it's not that there are pieces missing to the puzzle. There are no pieces missing to the puzzle. This puzzle has too many pieces. Where does the extra pieces come from?
don't worry, be happy. I don't know, y'all. But these are conversations that need to be had. Where is the sit-in? I don't see anyone plopping their ass on the damn beanbag now. Where is the sit-in? You know? So it's just interesting because we all have our different perceptions. You and I can look at the same thing and have two totally different perceptions as to what we see, which is why I always say perception is not necessarily reality. Excuse me. And, you know, that is, you know, actually an understatement. You know, and that's where some of this white explaining comes from. You know, and, and a lot of that is fear. And so instead of trying to understand our own fears across the board, most people just try to condemn and silence and shut down what they don't understand. And it's just, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking because, huh, you know, when I do the show Magical Negro Review, I'm going to talk about, you know, Muhammad Ali and how he was hated and vilified until Parkinson's took over and he could no longer talk. White people hated his ass and some black people. But what was interesting is, you know, later on in his life, you would have a few of them saying that, you know, they love Muhammad Ali, and, and especially after he, you know, passed away. All of a sudden, everybody loved Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X. You know, I always find it interesting when I see white people quoting Malcolm X. And especially when it's white people who feel that they have been marginalized, ostracized, othered, and they quote Malcolm X to, you know, accentuate whatever point they're trying to make regarding their particular situation. And what's so interesting about it is that some of the white people who do that are the same ones that tell us that we're being whiners and complainers and just take what we're given. Stop causing trouble. If Malcolm X was alive right now, yeah, they'd say, you know, he was alienating allies because of his rhetoric because it was over the top or it was too much or, you know, these white people ain't ready for that. When are they ever going to be ready? 
And, you know, what I don't understand is you have, you know, some blacks, some out here that are begging to be heard and begging to be understood and begging for, you know, white people to make changes that will help us. That's never going to happen. And you should not be out here asking someone to recognize and acknowledge your humanity. They're not going to do it. You have to demand that. You have to take it. I don't know if you're hearing me. You know, and today's show, you know, like I said, it was impacted by Walter Scott's mom and, you know, sometimes your heart just feels like it's being ripped apart because, you know, all I want to do is go and give that woman a hug. And I want to tell her that it's going to be okay. But I don't know if it's going to be okay. I don't know if it's going to be okay for me, let alone for anyone else. And some of that is fear. Yes, it is. And, again, you know, when, when, when things change and change happens in your life, it's scary. You know, and I'm talking about when you are the one advocating for change or making those changes. It's terrifying when you have to sit back and wait and watch someone else make changes that will have a direct impact on you. And due to what we're seeing in the rise of hate crimes and attacks, attacks on Muslim, especially Muslim women, you know, people trying to snatch off their hijabs and, and, and all of people painting swastikas, Some white people getting on public transportation and demanding that that person of color give up their seat so that they may sit down. And just white, some white people running around being purity jackasses because they have stated. And if you haven't seen this, I'm not sure what you know what's been going on with you, but I do know people who do not watch the news because they say the news is depressing. And I get that. But basically, with the triumphant win of Donald Trump, and when I say that, please understand I'm being sarcastic. Because those are the words that come, you know, that come out of the mouths of Donald Trump and his spokespeople. They feel that it was a landslide, you know, and, and all of these other things. They feel as though America 
belongs to white men and that they won. And basically Donald Trump is there to put women, all women, but especially white women, back in their place, which is a a subservient role. You all better pay attention. You have people passing laws all over this country. You know, that heartbeat law stating that if a fetus is one and a half months old, you will not be eligible for an abortion. And I retweeted something someone had, you know, put out there, and they were talking about you know, basically women not being afforded the opportunity to abort, that there is a head count on that. But don't worry, be happy, because some kind of way that child will be provided for. Well, wait a minute. They're only worried about that kid when it's in your womb. Once you push that baby out, they don't give a damn anymore. Why are you having children you can't afford? Why should we give you food stamps and, and, you know, a housing voucher or subsidized housing? You chose to have that baby. You know, and this is basically a punishment to women for having sex. And especially if it's sex outside of a traditional marriage, if you will. There's a lot wrong with that. You know, so, you know, Donald Trump and his people getting in office, again, putting women back in their place, particularly white women who 50% voted for Donald Trump, which is why. You know, again, I posted an article talking about black feminists and how some of them are pushing away from the white feminist movement. And last week on the show, I pontificated on, you know, the betrayal of a lot of these white feminists in that regard. But not only to put women back in place, but also to put black people back in place. How dare we think that we're equal to white folks? How dare we feel as though, you know, we are as important as any white person walking down the street? How dare we demand our equal rights? How dare we demand fair treatment? Well, aren't you happy? We're giving you all of these things, you know? You get to have the shittiest job, the hardest job, and make minimum wage. And what's so interesting is look at the people who Donald Trump is trying to have put in place. They want to take the minimum wage away. And one of the excuses they will use is that we live in a global society. 
Now, that part is true, but there is no way a person in America can compete with someone in China or India or Africa or any other place, someone that's making 50 cents a day, 20 bucks a week. We're in trouble, and it's across the board. As a matter of fact, what's interesting is there is a Tumblr page, and and one is called Trump Grets, and basically they're talking about the people who are now regretting their vote for Donald Trump. You know, you have a number of people. You have people that are afraid because they're going to lose their health care, which you all need to pay attention to that. You have people who are upset because some of the people that Donald Trump is appointing are people who turned their lives upside down. They lost their homes. They lost their jobs. You know, what's so interesting is that carrier deal and how one of the union, you know, one of the union workers exposed the lie that Donald Trump was, you know, putting out there that false narrative, and Donald Trump attacked him online. You're going to see a lot more of that. Donald Trump is refusing to sit down to get the intelligence briefs daily. He's leaving that to Mike Pence. And the truth of the matter is, you all need to look up Pence's background and get a better understanding as to why that guy is terrifying. And so, again, you know, one of the things that I've been talking about over the years, politics happening in these other countries. And I posted an article Sunday about how Austria, of all places, Austria rejected, you know, that right-sided conservatism, you know, happening over there in Europe. And, you know, you're seeing a rise of that type of mindset, if you will. It's happening all over the world. You know, you have a lot of British people, and some people call themselves Britons, what have you, they're regretting that Brexit. And a number of other places, you know, like I said, always tell you guys to educate yourselves beyond what's happening in America. It's extremely important that you understand what's happening other places because it does have an impact on us. And unfortunately, you know, I, I described what's happening now. And, you know, one of the ways that I can express or describe how I'm feeling right now, everything feels surreal to me at this point. And I feel like, you know, I am a captive player or captive contestant in this reality show. You know, I like to also say that I'm a, you know, I can't get off the damn roller coaster you know, we're trying to get off, but we're being, <laughs> they won't release the security mechanism to lift the bar so we can get out. These next four years, 
will be interesting. And, you know, we had a gentleman call in from South Carolina last week, and he was talking about how some of the black people that voted for Donald Trump, how they feel as though they have arrived. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting. You know, stay tuned. Details at 11, right? But don't worry, be happy. That is what these Democrats are telling many of these people. And what I need for you all to understand is, you know, these politicians, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green, LaRouche, et cetera, so on and forth with, one of the reasons why they can say don't worry, be happy is because they still maintain their white privilege. So either way, they're going to benefit. Oh, but see, there's a caveat here. It depends on where you fit into the, you know, to, to the white people Venn diagram. You know, Jewish people have all already been shown that, no, you're not in the right spot over here. Yeah. Yeah, you're in the wrong overlap. And it's not just Jewish people. You have Irish people. You have Italian people, Polish people, you know. And, you know, I want to address, you know, the other caller that we got last week who you know, we had a brief discussion about how all of the politicians are corrupt and voting them out of office would not necessarily change anything. Yeah, because the next set will get in there and see, you know, in many cases how they cannot affect any real change. And, you know, the money gets to some people. And so more corruption. I agree. And we have to find a better way, which is why I've been saying for years how we need to find some of these young people and we need to train them and to help them and, and, and get them to understand why they're in a the position that they're in. And if they are to assume or be elected to this particular position, why it's important to remember, number one, where you came from, you know, number two, how you felt and how people made you feel when you were in that position and what you needed and how your politicians could have, you know, affected change for the better. And so, again, you know, when Trishana called today and she's talking about states' rights, she's right. This is how a lot of people of color are left behind. And even during the days of Reconstruction, the black community was underdeveloped on purpose. And, you know, you have these Democrats out here. And I know I'm all over the place, you guys, and sorry about that. You know, this show is not scripted. And, you know, is my thoughts here and there. And, you know, you have a lot of these Democrats and Republicans out here stating that, 
you know, working class and poor whites have been discriminated against. They've been ignored. You know, they've been left behind. All of these different things. When that's not necessarily true. And it's a lot more complicated than that. But what I resent the most is having Democrats and Republicans and white people white explaining to me why I should feel sorry for working class and poor whites when they've never given a damn about me, which is why I'm doing a show. Empathy is for white people. And, oh, yeah, I meant to say solidarity is for white women, part of that feminist you know, area when I was talking about black feminists basically pushing away from white feminists. And unfortunately, you have some people that are going to have to learn this the hard way. But what's even more unfortunate is there are a lot of innocent people whose lives will be destroyed and turned upside down because not everybody is getting out of this smelling like a rose. And so can't blame this on a you know, on the Russians. No. You can't blame this on the blacks with low voter voter turnout. You really can't blame the white feminine and their betrayal. We have to take the blame collectively. And while it's unfair to certain people and certain groups, and I know it because, you know, when it all comes down to it, you know, we have no power base. But we're all going to be thrown under the bus unless you're white, wealthy, well-connected. So, yeah. So, again, I just want you guys to pay attention to some of the false narratives that are being put out here. And, again, you know, another thing that they're blaming is this so-called fake news. And there's a whole bunch out there. I've fallen for some of it a couple of times and, you know, turning around and researching it more like, where the hell, you know, did this come from? That's not going away, you guys, especially when people are profiting from it. They're making money from it. And so, like I said, pay attention. Stand up for yourself. There will be times when you will have to stand up for someone else. But, you know, I was talking to a good friend last night, and he and I were talking about self-sufficiency and how, unfortunately, we have not positioned ourselves to be totally self-sufficient. 
for the most part, and how we're dependent upon the government for certain things. And there is a lot more to that. But what I will say is, you know, when you see racism and you see this, you know, just the utter bullshit that's coming down, you need to speak up. You need to speak up. But at the end of the day, you know, voter suppression and, and again, the gerrymandering, redistricting, all of that, it plays a part. And like Trishana, you know, you know, I'm glad she called in. And, you know, read, read, read. You know, I'll have people say, is it a YouTube video? I watched it and sent me the link. And I'm like, anybody can put together a YouTube channel and put together some videos. But the same thing with the reading, you know, <laughs> anybody can put, you know, put false news out there. And you're reading that and believing that. And so that's where that critical thinking comes into place. That's where that research comes into place. You know, to be fair, you know, we're not only getting white splaining from the Democrats, we're getting it from the Republicans. You know, but again, while while they're trying to white splain these different things, they're also chastising, you know, many people of color, black people, and amazing. Like we owe them our vote. Like we owe them anything. And that's why you heard me going in on a show a few shows ago. And we don't owe them shit. And so when Barack Obama was saying that he would be personally offended if people didn't vote for Hillary, okay, so now it's coming on that close to 3 million people more voted for Hillary than Donald Trump. And she's still lost. Pay attention to the local politics. Unfortunately, many people can't even name their alderman or their commissioner or their state legislators. The judges that were voted into office, let alone the ones that were appointed. You know, we have a long way to go. But I don't want you all getting caught up in the hype that they're putting out here, you know, trying to say that it was the Russians or the white women or the lack of voting from black people. smoke and mirrors, and Democrats are going, well, elitist, wealthy, white Democrats and Republicans are going to be the people benefiting the most from Donald Trump being in office. And what's interesting is Donald Trump made it clear that Michael Pence 
would be basically dealing with, you know, a lot of the domestic and international, you know, policies and and and. That's why Michael Pence is getting the daily intelligence briefs. And I think Donald Trump gets one a week. So, again, they're going to put women and black people back in their place. Same thing with the Native Americans, you know, Standing Rock Sioux Tribe being forced by gunpoint to allow them, and when I say them, talking about the wealthy white elite, you know, who's going to make money from, you know, that pipeline, they're being forced to allow them to come through there. You know, the white towns that they were going to go through, they made noise, so they rerouted it. And, you know, you have people out here saying, oh, well, Obama stopped it. No, he didn't. All he did was give it a stay until he was out of office. And Donald Trump is invested in this. So this is going to happen. Now, whether they're going to reroute it or not, I don't know, but I doubt it. Because I need for you guys to pay attention to what they're putting in place in regards to protesters. Now, I've been talking a while about protesters and how they're being categorized during the 50s, 60s, and 70s with the Black Power Civil Rights Movement. They started diagnosing more and more black people as schizophrenic because white people couldn't understand why black people were angry and upset and unsatisfied and unhappy. And with Occupy Wall Street, when that happened, you know, they then started designating protesters as domestic terrorists. Dylan Roof is not even considered a domestic terrorist. And he went in there and shot up all those black people. Well, oops, don't worry, be happy. I forget. They were black people. And so a lot of the policies pay attention to who they're putting in place, you know, a homeland security and the attorney general and the appointees in the Department of Justice. Pay attention. And so what's so interesting is, you know, when I had the conversation with my friend last night and he made a point about Occupy Wall Street and how those were, you know, young, young adult white kids or white people who were out there expressing their displeasure with their view of a no-hope future, you know, no jobs, no opportunities, or very few jobs, you know, very few opportunities. That hasn't gone away. And sitting back and watching, those opportunities still won't be available 
just because you put Donald Trump in office, those manufacturing jobs aren't coming back. They're just not. And then some of the people that Donald Trump is trying to put in place, you know, basically they're going to use, you know, robotics, you know, and information technology to replace people in their restaurants and in their warehouses and all of those things. You need to pay attention, and there is going to be a resurge of young white people protesting in the street. They're protesting Trump now. Just watch what happens. You know, and many of us are sitting back and watching this, and, you know, and we've been talking about this for a while. I don't see how you all can't see what's in front of us. But don't worry. Be happy, right? Hakuna Matata. And so, it's like I said, it's interesting. They struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Section 2 is next. Do not sleep on this. All right, y'all. So uh, this is frustrating. It's frustrating. It's upsetting. And I hate the fact that I know some people that I love, cherish, admire, care for, they're going to be affected by this negatively. I have friends all across the board. You know, I was supposed to have dinner with a friend yesterday, but I wasn't feeling too well. And this is a Muslim friend of mine. And she was kind and gracious enough to invite me to dinner with her family. If Donald Trump isn't doing anything else, he is teaching us that we need each other and that we need to support each other and that we need to rely on each other collectively, which is why you hear many of us out here talking about the Islamophobia, as well as talking about the anti-Semitism being, you know, can't even talk straight, forgive me. So, you know, the Islamophobia, the anti-Semitism, the anti-blackness, you know, and what's so interesting about one of the callers from last week is he said there are millions of people falling over themselves to get into this country. And that's not necessarily true for people trying to get out the country. Now, that's what he said. And, you know, my response to that is that we have been, a lot of people have been leaving America, in particular Mexicans, South Americans, and Central Americans. You know, but see, the thing is, is that, you know, I didn't get a chance to really, you know, um, touch this, 
but the millions of people that are really just, you know, I mean, it's people all over the world. So black, brown, red, yellow, what have you. However, is more Europeans that are falling over themselves to get into the United States. Truth of the matter is that the majority of the so-called illegal immigrants are European. But they don't tell you that. They have you running around here angry at the Mexicans. And you know what? It's not just white folks doing that. It's some black people talking about they're taking our jobs. You know good and damn well you're not going out to no field to pick no damn strawberries or shuck no damn corn or pick no cotton. And so what's so interesting is, you know, again, is doublespeak coming out both sides of their neck. Oh, well, we don't want all those, you know, Mexicans in this country. But wait a minute. We need them because we can pay them less than minimum wage to go out there and and do jobs that most Americans will refuse to do. But now that they're not doing those jobs and they're leaving, now we have to hire these people and pay them more money, you know, which means food costs go up. Production costs goes up in different areas. But don't worry, be happy. Because you all will be all right. And my question to some of those progressive, liberal, white folks out there who are telling us, no, now is not the time. Wait. Or you're doing this the wrong way. And that's not how you should protest. You should protest this way. How many of you are willing to give up your white privilege to come join in the fight? How many of you are willing to speak up, even if it costs you your job, your career, and possibly your family? Not too many of you. I don't see any hands raised. And so you know how, you know, we see, you know, I'm not even going to go there. But I was going to say, you know, it's it's just, it's amazing. And like I said, my first show of next year is going to be the Magical Negro Review. And we're going to talk about these Magical Negro speeches and you know, Charlemagne, Lee Daniels, Pharrell, you know, and a number of other people. And what's so interesting is, you know, if W. E. B. Du Bois was alive and and speaking to the masses, he would be accused of being a damn intellectual snob and elitist. Same thing the Republicans said about Barack Obama when he said that he wanted everyone to be afforded the opportunity to go to college. You know, if Harriet Tubman was here, would she be vilified, ambushed, smacked around with respectability politics, and being painted as being divisive? 
because the slaves didn't realize that they were unsatisfied until she went and told them that they were unsatisfied? Would Shirley Chisholm and Barbara Jordan be branded as troublemakers? And not just troublemakers, communist troublemakers. And I need for you all to pay attention to that as well, because a lot of that Red Scare, McCarthyism, it's here. It's back. And just pay attention. It's going to get bigger and bigger. And, again, that is one of the tools that they use to vilify people. Oh, they're a socialist or they're a communist. Pay attention. Pay attention. You know, and and who does that Shirley Chisholm and, and Barbara Jordan, who do these women think they are, uppity black women, thinking they can run for president of the United States, thinking that they're equal to any man, Patriarchy is still very much woven into the very fabric of this country and many of our communities. And when I do the Magical Negro Review, I will address the 13% of black men who voted for Donald Trump. And again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I forgot to say that at the beginning of the show because it's like I'm just outdone. Outdone. You know, sitting here watching the news, reading these articles, you know, We ain't ready, y'all. Huh. I think I'm going to post this article from um, talking about this week in white splaining. Now, some great articles here. All right. Hey, you guys, you go on and you have a great Sunday. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Trishana, for calling in. I will download your your spoken word. You know, and a lot of, you know, the arts that are out there, the spoken word, you know, just arts of, you know, different genres there, what have you, beautiful. Is beautiful, and I know one of the things that I've been talking about since the beginning of this show is that we needed a new civil rights movement. But I thought it was going to be a civil rights movement fusioned with, you know, the Renaissance. And actually, that is, you know, what is shaping itself up to be. You know, I was talking about Black Lives Matter before Black Lives Matter popped up. And I was real happy to see them. And I'm still happy to see them. You know, many of them are out there doing really, really good work. 
can't listen to the media. And also, not every black organization or every black person, not everyone is Black Lives Matter. And unfortunately, that's the narrative too many people in the media are pushing. And there's a reason for that. You know, I don't believe in coincidences. Not even a little bit. So, all right, people, you all go out, live your lives, enjoy your lives. You have nothing to prove to anybody. And I had so much more that I wanted to talk about on the show today. But, like I said, go and and take a look at Walter Scott's mother at that press conference. It broke my heart. All right, y'all. Enjoy your day. See you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.